that, I think that's the first time uh, at Truth that we've worn out the drummer. <laughs> He's doing an awesome job. Uh, there's nothing, that's right, yeah. There's nothing more awesome than to get to a place in rehearsals where you're telling the drummer, hey, you're, you're being too soft, you know, you got to play louder. And, and Brad has fully embraced that last week. And, uh, and this week we're, you know, we're going and going and going and I'm looking back there and I can see the agony as he's hitting those cymbals because it's hard to hold your hands up like this, but then to be, yeah, good stuff. That's when you know you're worshiping, when your drummer's getting worn out. All right, so uh, last week we uh, started of what I could call, I guess you could call a series in the uh, happenings of Jeff's life. Um, and, or maybe I'm just an idiot. But uh, we did all, you know, last week, I, week before last, I did all of the uh, yard work and, and thank God the first mow was done. Well, tonight, or this week, uh, as many of you know, we've, we've had three floods in the five years we've been in this house. And uh, after the third flood, um, we didn't get all the work done. And, and part of the reason why is maybe it's because I'm too stubborn, um, but, but maybe not, kind of in conjunction with what I talked about last week. Um, part of the way I was raised was that you never pay for something you can do yourself. Um, and, and I think it's because my grandparents were kids, real little kids, um, maybe not so little, uh, coming out of the Great Depression. And, and my granddad then, of course, like I've told y'all before, uh, skipped his full-ride scholarship to MIT and joined the Army during World War II to go fight. Uh, and, and through his ex experiences over there, whatever, my granddad was just one of the, he was just a hard man. Uh, not hard as in... Um, angry or anything like that, he, but he was just hard in, in that he, uh, he had seen a lot, been through a lot. I can remember growing up, it used to gross me out because they, my grandparents ate a lot of chicken and, and meat. My granddad was a meat and potatoes kind of guy. I inherited that, uh, really more meat. Potatoes are just kind of a filler, but meat. And, but my granddad was the kind of guy that when he eats fried chicken, he sucks the marrow out of the bone. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as as an exaggeration, he would literally suck the marrow out of the bone. And he would get on to us as we're sitting there eating because, you know, I, growing up as a kid in affluence, you know, um, being a prodigy of the baby boomer generation, for me it was like, ew, that's got a weird vein or gristle in it. I'm, you know, I'm skipping that part. So, you know, we'd get like a chicken leg. Y'all know what a chicken leg looks like, right? I mean, your generation still knows what a chicken is with bones in it. I hope. Um, yeah. So we'd get a chicken leg, and I'd eat the chicken, you know, right around the middle, but I, would, I hated the ends, you know. I'd eat the fried skin off the ends, but I wouldn't get into all that gristly part, you know, because you got the tendons, but then you got like the, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, cartilage and all that stuff in there. My granddad would suck those bones dry, and he'd get onto us and be like, There's, you're leaving all the good meat on there, that's the good stuff, you know. And he'd eat the gizzards and everything, you know, and it's just like, hmm. But he was also the kind of guy uh, that that did everything himself. He was the kind of guy that, well, you know, it almost cost him his life. I guess in the long run it did, but he was the kind of guy that if he didn't know how to do it, he'd try it first 
and then hire somebody to come in to fix whatever he had messed up even further, which was very little, very few times. Um, but, but he taught that to me from a very young age. Um, and, and even when we were over there on, on vacations, summertime, whatever, he was always doing something. He built his house from the ground up, and it's still standing today. They don't build houses like that anymore, you know. Um, but but there, there it was. So part of me, you know, I, I'm very thankful for my granddad. And being in ministry, it, it just kind of goes hand in hand, you know. Um, being in ministry, you're never going to be, like, in tremendous life of affluence. And so you've got to learn to do some stuff yourself. Well, after our third flood, um, after the first two floods, uh, anything that I didn't know how to do myself, we hired out, and, and, uh, and I just worked with the workers, you know, which I think scared them. Uh, once again, as we get into the Metroplex, the reality of the situation is 90% of the people that do manual labor, that's, that's a, a Jeff Dietz exaggerated statistic. That's not a literal statistic. But in, in my experience, about 90% of the people that do manual labor around here are Hispanics. And so, the, you know, I, the first time we had a flood, we hired a contractor who, who then subcontracted out all the work, whatever. And about halfway through that process, I was like, why am I, why is the insurance company paying him seven bucks an hour and 10% uh, of all the jobs getting done for him to stand around and call subcontractors? I can do that myself. So about halfway through the first flood, we fired him and I just started calling subcontractors and they'd come in and do the stuff and, and, and the subcontractor would come in and he'd see what needs to be done and then he'd show up the day of the job and he, with, with a pickup truck, in the back were full of a bunch of Hispanic men and they would get out and he'd come in and he's like, all right, we need to do this, 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 and this, you know, and they'd be like, and unfortunately I've been blessed by being bilingual. And so they'd be like, okay, boss, you know, whatever. And so after about 10 minutes, subcontractor would get a phone call and have to step out and then he'd be gone all day and he'd come back at the end of the day, right? And the Hispanic men, you know, as soon as he'd leave, they'd just do it a totally different way a much more effective, time-efficient way, you know, and, and, and I observed that for about the half of the half that was left after the first flood, and then we just fired subcontractors, and I just hired guys to come in. But talking and working with the Hispanics, it always shocked them, because I was the owner, and, and instead of, like, letting them in and then going and hiding um, or leaving the house, I would get down on the ground and do work with them. And that just shocked them uh, that the white owner uh, was getting dirty and grubby with them, that I was paying them for the work that I was doing with them. But, but that's just the way I was raised. My granddad, whenever he would do anything and we were at his house, even though I was seven or eight, he'd be like, come on, where are we going? We're going to fix the car. But I was going to play. No, 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 you need to learn to do this because someday you're going to have to do it. You know? And that's just the way it was. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, thank you. So third time around, flood, we don't even hire anybody. I'm just doing it all myself. And the beauty of that is that the insurance then pays me the contractor's fee and the subcontractor's fee and 10% of the job and pays me as the labor to do it all. And so what Kim and I have been able to do, being blessed by that, is turn around and invest that back in the house. The downside to that is that I can only do so much housework. <laughs> You know, I mean, I could take off two months and get the house done, uh, but then I wouldn't have a job here. And so, lo and behold, it's been nine months, and we've been walking around on concrete slab in our dining room, in the hall and whatnot. So, uh, finally, 
after getting the lawn done, uh, it's, it's, you know, summer is upon us. And, and we're getting to where more and more here in Dallas, we have winter and then we have summer. You know, there's really very little spring, and especially when it comes to air conditioning and heating bills. And this is one thing y'all will learn. You know, you love the cool air and you don't even think about it now until you get my age and you're paying for the air conditioning bill. And then it's like, ooh, <laughs> wow, that's one of those expenditures you'll never count on, never think. But now you will because I told you. So uh, we've paid air conditioning bills in the past with floods with no floors in. And our air conditioners bills go up about $100 a month when you don't have your floors insulated. So summer's upon us. The floor's got to get done. So I told Kim, all right, this is the weekend. I'm doing it. You know, so we went and bought went and bought floors, uh, went down, followed one of the subcontractors in the first flood and found this place, you know, where, where they're charging us like $10 a square foot of flooring and, and we go down there and he's buying it for two bucks a square foot floor, you know. So I go down to one of these places and I find the wood floors and bring them home and they got to sit and cure in the house uh, because if you didn't know this, what you're about to find out, wood expands and shrinks depending on the, the humidity in the air, and the temperature and all this kind of stuff. So when you buy wood floors, you gotta leave it sitting in your house to cure, or they, if you have it installed and it hasn't cured in your house, the first time you go from winter to summer or from summer to winter and you change, uh, because we have very humid summers and very dry winters in the sense that our heaters suck all the humidity out of the air, your floors will expand or they'll shrink. And if you don't, if you're not careful, they will do that dr dramatically. So you let them cure. Even after they're cured, they will still do that. They'll expand and shrink somewhat. And so what you gotta do when you're laying wood floors is you've got to leave a gap between the walls. So on the, on the long run, long side of your boards, you wanna leave about a quarter inch gap between the wood and the wall. And on the ends of your wood floor running, you want to leave a half inch on either end too because the wood will expand and shrink. And even though it's glued down and all that stuff, your, your floors literally, you don't realize it, but all year long they're expanding and shrinking a little bit. If you run them and butt them up to the wall, that means you run the wood all the way to the wall, the first time they expand, guess where they're going to go? The middle's going to go and you're going to have warped floors that are going to bubble up. So I uh, go to all the work of figuring all this out. And, uh, and yesterday, or Friday, uh, started, and, and once, once you start, if you're like me, when you start a project, it's tunnel vision. You start until you're done. And so Friday, I started until Kim made me go to bed, and then Saturday, you know, she dosed me up with ibuprofen and Flexeril and stuff. Um, and then Saturday, all day long, and that's why I wasn't here last night, because I had to finish. And so finished the wood floors. And this morning, I woke up. And, uh, and I realized that I have these muscles that I didn't know I had before. Um, I, I, there's the, you know, this is your quads right here, and these are your hamstrings. And I did not know how much you use your hamstrings bending over and kneeling down. Um, but when you have to lay one board, and then you have to measure for the next and cut, get up, go cut the board, come back get down if you're a good cutter you've done it once if not you do it two or three times then you got to glue the board down and so you're bending over and getting up getting down so i must have done like fifty thousand squats over the weekend carrying wood and all this stuff and uh, i was i mean yeah my knees were hurting but i woke up this morning and my inner thighs my hamstrings on on the inside of my legs are 
hurting. And, and not just hurting, they're like that jello. You know, if you've ever done like a good workout and your muscles get all jello, you know? And so I was walking into church this morning and, and I was a little concerned because I got, I, I made it to church. And then I'm walking in and I'm kind of doing this thing. Because <laughs> you don't realize how much you use your hamstrings to walk until they're just like, uh, no more, you know? And it's not just the hurt, it's the jello. So it's all like, <laughs> you know? And I was trying... And, and you don't realize the impact your hamstring takes just by stepping on it. Uh, so I was doing this thing this morning where I was kind of flopping my foot down, and instead of just like absorbing, instead of your shock absorber, this is essentially what it is, your glutes and your hamstring. Instead of having shock absorbers, you know, you're kind of like, you know, I was just like, man, I got to serve communion that way. You know, this is the body of Christ. You know? It's just weird. And I can't walk straight because to do this hurts more, so you got to kind of step out. Um, <laughs> because I, I don't know what I did. But anyways, it's crazy. I'm hurting, and if I'm walking funny, that's why, okay? But it got me to thinking. <laughs> Am I walking that way? <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> you know me. Uh, you're going to be watching my duck walk all day. Yeah, I'm going to be wobbling. Here's the thing. Um, there's a lot quicker way to, way to lay wood floors. There's the quick way, and there's the right way. The quick way will lead to you having to replace the floors really quickly. The right way is extremely time-consuming and extremely demanding. I would, I would rather lay tile. I would rather lay carpet, anything other than wood floors. I mean, when they're done right, they're beautiful, but doing them is just brutal. It's just a nightmare. And it got me to thinking that often we as Christians, we kind of do the same thing when it comes to God. Kim asked me the question today. She said, how did you know how to do, do this? I'm like, well, I watched the guys that laid the wood floors last time. Yeah, but, I mean, they, they did a sloppy job because we had, you know, a year later. She's like, yeah, it's a sloppy job. How'd you learn? I said, well, babe, the wood comes with instructions. And I read them. And the older I get, the more I'm learning the importance in reading the instructions. And she said, well, I would have, you know, I would have never done that. I would have never thought of doing that. I would have never even thought to look for instructions in a box of wood, you know. But we do the same thing in our Christian life. More often than not, if we're not careful, we try to take the easy way, the quick way. If I had a penny for every time a youth has told me, I just, I want to know the will of God. What's the will of God for my life? I'd be a rich man. All of us do that. Well, God, I want your will. I want what I want, and I want it. Right? We want God's will, and, and all too often, I think we, we escape the fact that maybe God's will is for us to not know his will all the time. God wants us to depend on him. God wants us to need him. God tells us to fear the Lord. God wants this relationship that isn't... Here's what it's like. It's like what a marriage should be. You and I have got this impression that a marriage is some... When I find that significant other and we get married and... 
and we, you know, we're, we're a married couple and it's a great partnership and we're in this together and we're compromising. But what a real marriage should be is me dying to myself and being everything that Kim needs. And Kim coming and submitting herself completely to my needs. A marriage is, is not a partnership. It's not two people living together. It's two people becoming one. And our relationship with God is the same way. Our relationship with God is not inviting God to be in partnership with how we live our life. A real biblical relationship with God is me dying to myself and saying, God, it's yours to have. But unfortunately, a lot of times in our Christian walk, we try to do it the quick and easy way, and we try to do it our way. And and many times, we want to act like that subcontractor that just kind of comes in and says, okay, God, here's what I need. I need you to bless me here. I need to do this and this and this, and I want you to be like this, this, and this. And oh, I've got a phone call. I'll get back to you, God. You, You work on that while I'm busy doing this other thing. Instead of coming with an attitude of, of saying, God, okay, what do I need to do? And then God's saying, all right, let me show you. And I was getting down and dirty. <coughs> I'll be hurting all week long. Because today I had to take a little tape, because you have to tape each board together when you glue it so that the glue dries, creates a good seal. So I had to get down there and take off. Every board has four pieces of tape on it. So I had to get in there, and fortunately now the glue's dry, the boys could help me with this, you know, and I'm passing on my work ethic now to the boys. Boys, get in here, let's pull up tape. (laughs) Okay, you know, make tape balls, yay, okay. Um, But I'm bending and kneeling again, and so it was re-aggravating everything. So as I was walking into the parking lot again this afternoon, it was like, (laughs) okay, let's see if I can do this. That's the way God wants to work with us. God wants, wants to say, listen, come. I'm going to show you what to do. I'm going to tell you how to do it. And many of us, it's like God saying, all right, I want all of this tape off the floor. And so we start taking the tape off the floor and we get bored of that. So we're like, God, what do you want for my life? And God's saying, well, I already told you what I want. Yeah, but, but what's next, God? And he's like, well, I don't want you to worry about what's next because if you're not paying attention to what you're doing now, you're going to mess up. And God's given us this instruction manual and, and all too often we want the quick and easy. More often than not, I, I, I would be willing to bet, myself included here, we are more tempted to go to Blue Letter Bible or go to Bible Gateway, go to some Bible word search thing. I got anger, okay, we go to Bible Gateway, type in keyword search, anger, okay, God, give me the verses on anger, rather than really pulling out this book and reading it and studying it and seeing what God's instructions are for our life. But why? Because it's easy. It's quicker, right? Anybody in here ever done that? I'm raising my hand. I do it a lot. But God's really convicting me on that because God's saying, listen, I've given you a book of instructions. And if you would just take the time to read them and follow through, we could do this once. You know, rather than having to teach you to pull up tape 50 billion times, I could teach you once and you'd have it down. Instead, you get started on the tape, and then you're already thinking about the next thing. And so instead of paying attention on how to move that tape, you know, Tate got down there and started trying to pull up tape, and he started in the middle of the tape. And so guess what happened? It would tear. Daddy, I can't get... Okay, start in the corner and pull all the way. And I had to show him, and he's like, oh, okay. 
but it's sticking on my hands. What do I do with the tape when I pull it? All right, crinkle it in the ball and then put tape on top of that and crinkle and crinkle, crinkle, and you mix a ball. Oh, this is fun. Now was a game, you know, now they're having fun. And that's the way God wants to work with us. God says, I want you to pick up the tape, and we're like, okay. It's tearing in the middle, and we're like, God, I wish you'd bless me with the gift of tearing tape. <laughs> and God's sitting there going, you don't need a gift. You just need to listen. Because I've spelled it out for you in here. Well, God, if you would just show up miraculously and show me how to better, you know, if you would just motivate me, you know, God, and God's like, I don't, I don't want to motivate you. I don't want to make a bunny statue out of tape. I want to make a ball because then we're going to play soccer when we're done, you know. And we're like, no, but I want a bunny. See, I want something miraculous, you know. I want the tape to fly away, whatever, you know, and we just get, we chase these rabbit trails. So let me tackle the number one way I believe that God is going to manifest himself to you, particularly you students, but actually to all of us. Okay? The number one way that God teaches us is through his word. But our problem fundamentally isn't in that we don't believe that the word of God is accurate and that his instructions are in here. That's not our fundamental problem. Here's our fundamental problem. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's authority. Then do what is right, uh, I'm sorry, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And Paul goes on. I think our fundamental problem in really following God is that you and I struggle with authority over our lives. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan tempted Eve and Adam with eating the fruit because then they would know what? The difference between good and evil. In other words, you won't need this God who knows everything ruling over you because you'll know everything. And the, the funny thing is, is that in some ways, Satan wasn't really deceiving and lying. I mean, wasn't lying. He was using the truth to deceive Adam and Eve. Because... If you go on, if you read earlier in Romans, particularly in Romans, I believe it's chapter 8, Paul talks about how it is, it is the law and that, that makes sin have its power. 
In other words, what, what, what Paul talked about earlier in, in, in chapter 8 is he says this. He says, listen, without the law, there would be no sin. And, and when Adam and Eve, or, or without, and also without no sin, there would be no law. And so when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, yes, they knew the difference between right and wrong. What they didn't foresee and what Satan failed to tell them is that they did not, because they were not innate and in and of themselves holy, they did not have the character quality traits and to be able to handle the difference between right and wrong and not choose wrong and it goes back to some of what richard talked about this morning same thing the pleasure isn't the things that bring pleasure in life aren't necessarily all the time evil in and of themselves it's when we abuse them and take them places they shouldn't go and we we depend on those things more than god and, and, and the same problem faces us today in that you and I, our real struggle is with authority. First with God. It's, it's a lack of trust that God is who he says he is, knows what he, he, he needs to know, and being okay with the fact that he's in the know and we're not. And sometimes it plays out like, like it did for me this weekend that, man, my wood floors look good, but for the next week I'm going to be hurting. And I'm going to be walking like a freak because I still have to do the baseboards around the bottom and then i got to cock them, so there's a lot more bending and cutting to go. And, and God's sitting there in our spiritual lives. Sometimes he says, listen, the things I want you to do sometimes cause pain. The things you need to go through sometimes cause pain. But it's a good pain. I have newfound respect for linemen in football. And now I understand why their legs are so big. You know, I used to think they were just all fat, but man, there's some serious muscle tone from bending down like that all game long. And God's the same way. He said, listen, you're working out muscles that you didn't know you had. And I'm doing that. I want you to do that. And many times you and I, we get, we, we get into where we want the pretty of God. We want the miraculous. We want the pleasure. And, and God's saying, yeah, but I'm not doing that in you right now. I'm, I'm working on discipline. I'm working on breaking you down because you don't understand my authority, that I'm Lord. And so I'm having to strip you of your own lordship because remember that day you asked me into your heart, you really confessed that I was going to be Lord and that you were going to die to yourself. So I'm helping you die to yourself. And that's going to be that's going to hurt a little bit, but it's going to be for your benefit. And we all too often not as soon as it starts hurting, we're like, ah, ah. you know, all weekend long, I'd be, you know, towards Saturday, towards the afternoon, I, I would get down to do a board and be like, ah, 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 and I would get down, you know, and then getting up and be like, ah, and Kim would be like, why don't you take a break? Why don't you take a break? Kim, I can't take a break because if I take a break, I'm going to get all stiff and, it, and I'll be, I won't be able to move. It's okay. Take a break for a couple hours. No, the floors won't get done. I need to do this. Okay. Then about 30 minutes later, she'd hear me in there. And she'd be like, come take a break. I don't want to take a break. But you and I would do the same thing spiritually. See, right when, right about the time we're going, oh, that hurts, then, then we've got voices that are going, oh, take a break. Just take a break. You can finish that later. And here's how it trickles down then, see. Because, because we struggle with authority with God, it manifests in other ways. It manifests like this for you students. Authority to parents. If you struggle with authority with your parent, then it's symptomatic that there's a larger issue with your authority of God. 
Because to, to struggle with authority of your parents, whom you see, whom you can talk to, really is symptomatic that you have a larger trust issue with authority of God. Because according to Romans 13 that we just read, your parents are in your life by God's design as your authority. So to, to rebel against your parents' authority is to rebel against God's authority in your life. And then as parents, you know, when we struggle with our employer at work, it's God has put those authority over us. And when we struggle with authorities over us at work, really it's a larger issue. That's just symptomatic that we don't trust that God has put the right authorities over our life and work. God doesn't say that you have to like it. God just says you have to do it. Your parents, your employers, your teachers, those are all little tiny practices that God has put in your life to teach you how to respect Him ultimately as your authority. As you learn to respect and obey your parents, you're learning to respect and obey God, even when it hurts. I remember when I first got into ministry, um, I went into this church. I was 19 years old. They hired me to be a youth pastor, and I walked in, and there was all kinds of issues at this church. I remember walking into one of the Sunday school classes on Sunday morning, and I heard the teacher saying this, you know, it's really not important, you know, the name of God as much as that you believe in God. You know, some people believe in, in Muhammad. Some people believe in Jesus. It, it's all the same God, as long as we're trying. And I, I, I flipped, you know, I was like, time out. Where did, where did you come from, and who let you be a Sunday school teacher? You know, I'd been there like four months. My problem, the problem I had is that I didn't respect any authority because I was a 19-year-old know-it-all, and so I approached it in entirely the wrong way, and, and it caused a huge stink. And the older I've gotten in the church, the more I've realized that in church you're working with people, thus you're working with, just like myself, people that are broken and fallible, right? And so God has taught me a lot about grace. He's taught me a lot about patience. Uh, there's a lot of times that Richard and I disagree. But you know what the fundamental rule is? Never usurp the authority over you. It doesn't matter if I disagree with Richard. When it boils down to it, God's placed him in authority over me as my spiritual head in this church. So when we disagree, we agree to disagree, and we do what Richard says. With exception, in all of those cases, of it not lining up with this. Right? Right? If you flip over a couple of chapters, chapter 16... Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to have a Holy Spirit make out. So just kiss whoever you want in the room. Go for it. Now's your chance. Let's go. 
I don't see anybody kissing. Why aren't y'all kissing? Oh, there we go. That's just too special. No, why didn't y'all jump up and start making out? Especially you boys in here, because I know what it's like to be pubescent boys. Testosterone, boom, 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 yeah. Don't tell me you haven't thought about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why not? The Bible says it. Paul told, commanded the church in Rome to greet each other with a holy kiss. It'd be awkward. It's not a good enough reason. I'm the authority God has placed in your life. No. Here's what we're getting at. Listen. You guys are not giving me any valid reasons why not to do it. But don't, don't feel ashamed. Because half the church in the United States right now can't see heresy put right in front of their face. It's a bestseller. Here's the reason why. Because you and I, we don't view God authoritatively enough to know his word enough to know when someone is misusing it, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan told Adam and Eve if they ate of the fruit, they'd know the difference between right and wrong. And he was true. He was right. But they didn't own the authority figure in their life that was God enough to listen to the word he'd given them. Their commandment was so much easier than yours and ours. They didn't need this whole book. They had one commandment to follow. Don't eat from that tree. That was it. But their humanity stepped in. They did not respect the authority that God was enough. So they didn't respect his word. And because of that, they floundered. And you and I did the same thing. Don't laugh at Adam and Eve. Because when it boils down to it, the same God has given us the same command to follow his word and each and every one of us in here own his word. We didn't just hear it once. It's here anytime we want to read it. And you and I don't respect that authority enough to know his word with a commanding knowledge so that when someone like me gets up and pulls a verse out of nowhere and reads it out and says, this is what we're going to do, the church in the United States flounders. We flounder. Because some guy can get up with amazingly produced videos and, and metaphorically speaking can really you know, bring home some passages of the word. Um, and, and because he's eaten a bad mustard seed, he's basically followed into, into a line of thought that, God, that Paul warns us about all over in Colossians and Galatians. And he's followed the wrong path and he's stepped outside of the authority of the word He's gotten himself into danger and he's leading the church astray because his methodology is easier to understand and it's quicker and more popular to follow. You and I are in the same position to be 
falling out of line if we don't know this book out of respect and fear of the Lord. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It means to recognize how holy He is and who He is and therefore to always have a certain amount of respect, fearful respect, out of stepping outside of His will. He is God. Who am I that I would try to change or live outside of His will? That's what fear of the Lord means. You and I, we don't have a healthy dosage of fear of the Lord. People in Japan, Christians in Japan, fear the Lord right now because their world just got turned upside down. Their nuclear reactors might explode at any moment. Christians in the stands, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Iran, those, those people that, that their life could end tomorrow for following God, they have a healthy respect and fear of the Lord because they need Him. They depend on Him for their every breath. You and I, we've got cool guys on videos telling us little stories, the rabbit trails that just lead us astray and we follow because it's easier and quicker. My warning to you tonight, with this I end, is that according to Romans 13, we need to develop a healthy respect and fear of the Lord again and, and the way that starts is by respecting the authorities he's placed in our life because they're like little baby authorities to teach us how to respect the ultimate authority. You understand? Don't get it backwards. Don't believe a lie that you can honor God and worship God and serve God and love God and praise God at the same time you're disrespecting your parents, your teachers, your employers. Because if we're not faithful in the little things, how do we ever think that we'll be faithful in the big things? The authorities in our life were placed there by God, according to Romans 13, to teach us what it means to submit, to die to ourselves daily. That's why your teachers are slave drivers. That's why your parents annoy you. Because they, God uses them to put death to your flesh. God's using them to eliminate you. Because God wants to replace you with his son inside you. That's what Christianity is all about. I can guarantee you, the pastors, the ministers that slip, you know what I'm talking about? The ones that fail, the ones that end up in some sin situation, the ones that end up leading half the world into heresy. They're the ones that are so popular that they have no authority in their life. People are too afraid to be authoritative in their life because they're afraid of offending them or, or losing their friendship or whatever, that, that they've lost all authority in their life. And, and when they have no authority, they flounder. That's why... Peter had Paul and Paul had Peter to sit there and rebuke each other. That's why Paul got on to Peter. Why aren't you eating meat? You're, you're eating with a Gentile. You're not with the Jews now. They're eating meat. Eat meat. We all need it. If you can get to the place where you can appreciate authority for what it really is, your relationship with the Lord will grow that much quicker. All of us need authorities in our life. And if we respect it and just embrace it, 
It'll lead to true joy, like Richard talked about this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us and direct us, that you would reveal yourself through the authorities you've placed in our lives. Lord, forgive us where we struggle, where our flesh rises up and causes us to to want to step outside of the authority that you've placed in our life to that's there to work in us, to cause us to hurt, but hurt in a good way, to build strength, to, to build us up, to give us knowledge, to make us more like you, to replace our flesh with your Holy Spirit that we might represent Jesus how he truly is. I pray that you'd work that into our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Uh, one announcement tonight. Uh, we started selling the begonia flowers, and there's forms back there. Uh, everybody was out doing the yards in my neighborhood this week, so now's the time to sell. So get your flower forms and, and sell them begonias. All right, we'll see you Wednesday.